Chapter One of the Legends of King Arthur and His Knights by James Knowles. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One The Prophecies of Merlin and the Birth of Arthur. King Vortigern the usurper sat upon his throne in London when suddenly upon a certain day ran in a breathless messenger and cried aloud, Arise, Lord King, for the enemy is come, even Ambrosius and Uther, upon whose throne thou sittest, and full twenty thousand with them, and they have sworn by a great oath, Lord, to slay thee ere this year be done, and even now they march toward thee as the north wind of winter for bitterness and haste at those words vortigern's face grew white as ashes and rising in confusion and disorder he sent for all the best artificers and craftsmen and mechanics and commanded them vehemently to go and build him straightway in the furthest west of his lands a great and strong castle where he might fly for refuge and escape the vengeance of his master's sons and moreover cried he let the work be done within a hundred days from now or i will surely spare no life amongst you all then all the host of craftsmen fearing for their lives found out a proper site whereon to build the tower and eagerly began to lay the foundations but no sooner were the walls raised up above the ground than all their work was overwhelmed and broken down by night invisibly no man perceiving how or by whom or what and the same thing happening again and yet again all the workmen full of terror sought out the king and threw themselves upon their faces before him beseeching him to interfere and help them or to deliver them from their dreadful work filled with mixed rage and fear the king called for the astrologers and wizards and took counsel with them what these things might be and how to overcome them the wizards worked their spells and incantations and in the end declared that nothing but the blood of a youth born without mortal father smeared on the foundations of the castle could avail to make it stand messengers were therefore sent forthwith through all the land to find if it were possible such a child and as some of them went down a certain village street they saw a band of lads fighting and quarrelling and heard them shout at one avaunt thou imp avaunt son of no mortal man go find thy father and leave us in peace at that the messengers looked steadfastly on the lad and asked who he was one said his name was merlin another that his birth and parentage were known by no man a third that the foul fiend alone was his father hearing the things the officers seized merlin and carried him before the king by force but no sooner was he brought to him than he asked in a loud voice for what cause he was thus dragged there my magicians answered vortigern told me to seek out a man that had no human father and to sprinkle my castle with his blood that it may stand order those magicians said merlin to come before me and i will convict them of a lie 
the king was astonished at his words but commanded the magicians to come and sit down before merlin who cried to them because ye know not what it is that hinders the foundation of the castle ye have advised my blood for a cement to it as if that would avail but tell me now rather what there is below that ground for something there is surely underneath that will not suffer the tower to stand the wizards at these words began to fear and made no answer then said merlin to the king i pray lord that the workmen may be ordered to dig deep down into the ground till they shall come to a great pool of water this then was done and the pool discovered far beneath the surface of the ground then turning again to the magicians merlin said tell me now false sycophants what there is underneath that pool but they were silent then said he to the king command this pool to be drained and at the bottom shall be found two dragons great and huge which now are sleeping but which at night awake and fight and tear each other at their great struggle all the ground shakes and trembles and so casts down thy towers which therefore never yet could find secure foundations the king was amazed at these words but commanded the pool to be forthwith drained and surely at the bottom of it did they presently discover the two dragons fast asleep as merlin had declared but vortigern sat upon the brink of the pool till night to see what else would happen then those two dragons one of which was white the other red rose up and came near one another and began a sore fight and cast forth fire with their breath but the white dragon had the advantage and chased the other to the end of the lake and he for grief at his flight turned back upon his foe and renewed the combat and forced him to retire in turn but in the end the red dragon was worsted and the white dragon disappeared no man knew where when their battle was done the king desired merlin to tell him what it meant whereat he bursting into tears cried out this prophecy which first foretold the coming of king arthur woe to the red dragon which figureth the british nation for his banishment cometh quickly his lurking holes shall be seized by the white dragon the saxon whom thou o king hast called to the land the mountains shall be levelled as the valleys and the rivers of the valleys shall run blood cities shall be burned and churches laid in ruins till at length the oppressed shall turn for a season and prevail against the strangers for a boar of cornwall shall arise and rend them and trample their necks beneath his feet the island shall be subject to his power and he shall take the forests of gaul the house of romulus shall dread him all the world shall fear him and his end shall no man know he shall be immortal in the mouths of the people and his works shall be food to those that tell them but for thee o vortigern flee thou the sons of constantine for they shall burn thee in thy tower for thine own ruin wast thou traitor to their father and didst bring the saxon heathens to the land aurelius and uther are even now upon thee to revenge their father's murder and the brood of the white dragon shall waste thy country and shall lick thy blood find out some refuge if thou wilt 
but who may escape the doom of god the king heard all this trembling greatly and convicted of his sins said nothing in reply only he hasted the builders of his tower by day and night and rested not until he had fled thereto in the meantime aurelius the rightful king was hailed with joy by the britons who flocked to his standard and prayed to be led against the saxons but he till he had first killed vortigern would begin no other war he marched therefore to cambria and came before the tower which the usurper had built then crying out to all his knights avenge ye on him who hath ruined britain and slain my father and your king he rushed with many thousands at the castle walls but being driven back again and yet again at length he thought of fire and ordered blazing brands to be cast into the building from all sides these finding soon a proper fuel ceased not to rage till spreading to a mighty conflagration they burned down the tower and vortigern within it then did aurelius turn his strength against hengist and the saxons and defeating them in many places weakened their power for a long season so that the land had peace anon the king making many journeys to and fro restoring ruined churches and creating order came to the monastery near salisbury where all those british knights lay buried who had been slain there by the treachery of hengist for when in former times hengist had made a solemn truce with vortigern to meet in peace and settle terms whereby himself and all his saxons should depart from britain the saxon soldiers carried every one of them beneath his garment a long dagger and at a given signal fell upon the britons and slew them to the number of nearly five hundred the sight of the place where the dead lay moved aurelius to great sorrow and he cast about in his mind how to make a worthy tomb over so many noble martyrs who had died there for their country when he had in vain consulted many craftsmen and builders he sent by the advice of the archbishop for merlin and asked him what to do if you would honour the burying-place of these men said merlin with an everlasting monument send for the giant's dance which is in killerous a mountain in ireland for there is a structure of stone there which none of this age could raise without a perfect knowledge of the arts they are stones of a vast size and wondrous nature and if they can be placed here as they are there round this spot of ground they will stand for ever at these words of merlin aurelius burst into laughter and said how is it possible to remove such vast stones from so great a distance as if britain also had no stones fit for the work i pray the king said merlin to forbear vain laughter what i have said is true for those stones are mystical and have healing virtues the giants of old brought them from the furthest coast of africa and placed them in ireland while they lived in that country and their design was to make baths in them for use in time of grievous illness for if they washed the stones and put the sick into the water it certainly healed them as also it did them that were wounded in battle and there is no stone among them but hath the same virtue still 
when the Britons heard this, they resolved to send for the stones, and to make war upon the people of Ireland if they offered to withhold them. So when they had chosen Uther, the king's brother, for their chief, they set sail to the number of fifteen thousand men, and came to Ireland. There Gilomanius, the king, withstood them fiercely, and not until after a great battle could they approach the giant's dance, the sight of which filled them with joy and admiration. But when they sought to move the stones, the strength of all the army was in vain, until Merlin, laughing at their failures, contrived machines of wondrous cunning, which took them down with ease and placed them in the ships. When they had brought the whole to Salisbury, Aurelius, with the crown upon his head, kept for four days the feast of Pentecost with royal pomp and in the midst of all the clergy and the people merlin raised up the stones and set them round the sepulchre of the knights and barons as they stood in the mountains of ireland then was the monument called stonehenge which stands as all men know upon the plain of salisbury to this very day soon thereafter it befell that aurelius was slain by poison at winchester and was himself buried within the giant's dance at the same time came forth a comet of amazing size and brightness darting out a beam at the end whereof was a cloud of fire shaped like a dragon from whose mouth went out two rays one stretching over gaul the other ending in seven lesser rays over the irish sea at the appearance of this star a great dread fell upon the people and uther marching into cambria against the son of vortigern himself was very troubled to learn what it might mean then merlin being called before him cried out with a loud voice o oh, mighty loss o oh, stricken britain alas the great prince is gone from us aurelius ambrosius is dead whose death will be ours also unless god help us haste therefore noble uther to destroy the enemy the victory shall be thine and thou shalt be king of all britain for the star with the fiery dragon signifies thyself and the ray over gaul portends that thou shalt have a son most mighty whom all those kingdoms shall obey which the ray covers Thus for the second time did Merlin foretell the coming of King Arthur, and Uther, when he was made king, remembered Merlin's words, and caused two dragons to be made in gold in likeness of the dragon he had seen in the star. One of these he gave to Winchester Cathedral, and had the other carried into all his wars before him, whence he was ever after called Uther Pendragon, or the dragon's head. Now when Uther Pendragon had passed through all the land and settled it, and even voyaged into all the countries of the Scots and tamed the fierceness of that rebel people, he came to London and ministered justice there, and it befell at a certain great banquet and high feast which the king made at Eastertide, there came with many other earls and barons, Gorlois, Duke of Cornwall, and his wife Igerna, who was the most famous beauty in all Britain. And soon thereafter, Gorlois being slain in battle, Uther determined to make Igerna his own wife. 
but in order to do this and enable him to come to her for she was shut up in the high castle of tintagel on the furthest coast of cornwall the king sent for merlin to take counsel with him and to pray his help this therefore merlin promised him on one condition namely that the king should give him up the first son born of the marriage for merlin by his arts foreknew that this first-born should be the long-wished prince king arthur when uther therefore was at length happily wedded merlin came to the castle on a certain day and said sir thou must now provide thee for the nourishing of thy child and the king nothing doubting said be it as thou wilt i know a lord of thine in this land said merlin who is a man both true and faithful let him have the nourishing of the child his name is sir ector and he hath fair possessions both in england and in wales when therefore the child is born let him be delivered unto me unchristened at yonder postern gate and i will bestow him in the care of this good knight so when the child was born the king bid two knights and two ladies to take it bound in rich cloth of gold and deliver it to a poor man whom they should discover at the postern gate and the child being delivered thus to merlin who himself took the guise of a poor man was carried by him to a holy priest and christened by the name of arthur and then was taken to sir ector's house and nourished at sir ector's wife's own breasts and in the same house he remained privily for many years no man soever knowing where he was save merlin and the king anon it befell that the king was seized by a lingering distemper and the saxon heathens taking their occasion came back from over sea and swarmed upon the land wasting it with fire and sword when uther heard thereof he fell into a greater rage than his weakness could bear and commanded all his nobles to come before him that he might upbraid them for their cowardice and when he had sharply and hotly rebuked them he swore that he himself nigh unto death although he lay would lead them forth against the enemy then causing a horse litter to be made in which he might be carried for he was too faint and weak to ride he went up with all his army swiftly against the saxons but they when they heard that uther was coming in a litter disdained to fight with him saying it would be shame for brave men to fight with one half dead so they retired into their city and as it were in scorn of danger left the gates wide open but uther straightway commanding his men to assault the town they did so without loss of time and had already reached the gates when the saxons repenting too late of their haughty pride rushed forth to the defence the battle raged till night and was begun again the next day but at last their leaders octa and yosa being slain the saxons turned their backs and fled leaving the britons a full triumph the king at this felt so great joy that whereas before he could scarcely raise himself without help he now sat upright in his litter by himself and said with a laughing and merry face they called me the half-dead king and so indeed i was but victory to me half-dead is better than defeat and the best of health for to die with honour is far better than to live disgraced but the saxons although thus defeated were ready still for war 
Uther would have pursued them, but his illness had by now so grown that his knights and barons kept him from the adventure, whereat the enemy took courage and left nothing undone to destroy the land, until descending to the vilest treachery they resolved to kill the king by poison. To this end, as he lay sick at Verulam, they sent and poisoned stealthily a spring of clear water whence he was wont to drink daily, and so on the very next day he was taken with the pains of death, as were also a hundred others after him, before the villainy was discovered, and heaps of earth thrown over the well. The knights and barons, full of sorrow, now took counsel together, and came to Merlin for his help, to learn the king's will before he died, for he was by this time speechless. "'Sirs, there is no remedy,' said Merlin, "'and God's will must be done. But be ye all to-morrow before him, for God will make him speak before he die.' So on the morrow all the barons, with Merlin, stood round the bedside of the king, and Merlin said aloud to Uther, Lord, shall thy son Arthur be the king of all this realm after thy days? Then Uther Pendragon turned him about and said in the hearing of them all, God's blessing and mine be upon him. I bid him pray for my soul, and also that he claim my crown, or forfeit all my blessing and with those words he died. Then came together all the bishops and the clergy and great multitudes of people, and bewailed the king, and carrying his body to the convent of Ambrius, they buried it close by his brother's grave within the giant's dance. End of chapter 1 Recording by Thomas Rose